Listening to the Vince Quinn Show, weekend overnights on CBS Sports Radio. Yes, watching you live through the Jets smoke detectors. Vince Quinn here with you on CBS Sports Radio. We'll get to that story if you're like, what is he talking about? We'll get to that story later for sure. It's completely ridiculous. But the main thing, obviously, opening things up here, if you didn't see what happened with Notre Dame and Clemson tonight, what a game! What a game. Just a, a, everything that you could possibly expect from a top-of-the-line matchup, a number one seed, a number four seed, no Trevor Lawrence, and really, it didn't matter. An absolutely excellent contest tonight, and we're going to get to that in just a second. But first, we are coming to you live from the Rocket Mortgage Studios. When you need certainty in the home buying process with a loan that fits your life, Rocket can. So, Notre Dame, Clemson. The game, whoo, it, it gets off to a start. I mean, right away, Notre Dame, like second play of the game, 65 yards, taking it to the house, big score. And what you get is really everything you can ask for in a big-time game, right? It, it's not just the big plays on the offensive side of the ball. You get it on the defensive side of the ball. You have moments late in the game, controversial decisions, although it, it ultimately panned out. We'll get to that. Um, it, it was just it was just fun, man. If you like football, if you like sports, that was a fun game to watch. It goes right down to the wire, and the end of the game was something that sounds a little bit like this. Riangalale takes a shotgun snap, Notre Dame rushes three. Steps up in the pocket, right side, throws, and throws it underneath. And then lateral, the back ball is knocked up in the air, and down it goes. Ball is in the hands, and it's ball game. Tackle with the 25, and Notre Dame has done it. As they have knocked off Clemson, and they will storm the field. Yeah, they, they, there was a lot of people on that field. It was... It's a lot of storming on the field. People are storming all sorts of things in the past 24 hours. Uh, it's, it's a mess. But uh, outside of that, when, when you look at the football side of this, huge win for Notre Dame. I mean, unbelievably massive win for that program. Okay? To, to put this in a little bit of perspective, this is the first time that Notre Dame has beaten a number one seed since 1993. Since 1993. I mean, were you even in school at that point, Graceffo? What were, what were you doing in 1993? I was five. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing. Like, it was forever ago. It's amazing that Notre Dame hasn't won a game of this caliber, given the program that they are, the notoriety they've had, and good years they've had. They haven't had a win against a number one seed since 1993. It's crazy, man. Good for them. You were what, three years old? Yeah. I, I was three or depending on the week, you know, maybe four. My birthday was about a week ago. So, yeah, uh, not, not not exactly paying much attention to the game at the time when it happened. 
You sure were. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I was pay, I, You have such a great attention span at four years old, let me tell you. But you look at this game and obviously what this means for Notre Dame. First off, because one of the things that's going into this game that's naturally baked in is you go, well, Trevor Lawrence isn't in this game, so maybe this isn't exactly a real win for Notre Dame. Like that, you, you have this natural back out situation if you're a Clemson fan, if you want to make excuses. No, 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 no. That, that is not how this shook out even a little bit because if you were just somebody who doesn't pay attention to college football, you sat down and watched this game, you don't know you're dealing with a backup. You don't know you're dealing with a freshman. DJ Ungalele looked great. He looked great. I mean, tonight, DJ Ungalele, 29 of 44, 439 yards, two touchdowns, making plays late. They're moving him around. He, he, he looked good. For a big-time game like that, his second game, given what he was last week, given where Clemson was last week, where they, all, they almost lost to Boston College last week, okay? They almost lost to Boston College. Clemson was in this game from the jump. They were leading, and if anything, they had the opportunity to seal this game late and blew it. I mean, Notre Dame going down the field, about three minutes left in the game. They're down seven. They're unable to finish on the drive. Clemson gets the ball back. And then, you know, they're going out of bounds on third down. There was just sloppy stuff that happened. Notre Dame gets the ball with about a minute and a half left. So life breathed into them when it felt like the game was over. They drive all the way down the field. It goes to overtime. Each team scores a touchdown in overtime. Notre Dame scores again. And we already played the final play for you. Clemson is a fourth and 23 situation. Been sacked a couple of times. And they just couldn't figure it out. But they were in there at the end. So the DJ Ungalele excuse, the backup quarterback excuse, it doesn't hold water here. That kid played a great game. And credit to him. You know, that's a tough spot to be in. He handled it well. That's why Clemson went after him, right? That uh, It's the ability to identify big-time players that can handle clutch moments. And he's that kind of guy. He, he's clearly on his way. And I want to get to more of that in just a minute. But first... Let's go back to Notre Dame here, and let's hear from Brian Kelly after the game. We won the football game, and I'm certainly uh, excited about that. But more so, when you watch your your players um, uh, exhibit resolve and exhibit uh, grit and um, refuse uh, to lose a football game. Yeah, and, and that's really what it was again. Notre Dame should have lost that game. Absolutely. Totally should have lost the game. I mean, for them to not get that drive with about three minutes left, it just felt like it was over. Because for Clemson, all throughout the game, they have big plays here and there. There's a lot of drives. Play after play after play. A couple of yards here, a couple of yards there. First down, keep moving the ball. And you just figured they were going to run out the clock. And they weren't able to do it. And so for Notre Dame to hang in there, to get that game in double overtime, like an exceptional game. And they should be very proud of what they just did. That was a big-time statement win against one of the best programs that you can possibly find. Clemson, by the way, now that they lost this game, this is the first time that Clemson's lost in 37 games. They had a 36-game winning streak. So you look at all of this and just what a night for Notre Dame. Now, here was the controversial decision. Controversial decisions, you know, they get swept under the rug when you win, and ultimately Brian Kelly won. But the fascinating thing is, and this is the natural football fan in me, that you see at the end of the game, Notre Dame scores the touchdown. They're down one point. There's 22 seconds left. Go for two. 
right? Go for two. Go win the game right now. You are playing against Clemson. You did just have this long drive. You've got the momentum. You're at home. Go for two. And they didn't do it. They did not make that choice. And here's Brian Kelly on why they didn't go for two and win the game in regulation. We had just worked too hard to get back into the game. And so it just didn't feel right to go for two there. But I I did think about it. I just felt like we had overcome so much to get back in the game. Um, So I did not choose to, to go down that road. Yeah, so again, ultimately it paid off for him, but that's one of those things you look at and you go, oh, well, I, I don't disagree with it. He won the game. Nobody's going to ultimately care. So again, congratulations to Brian Kelly, but it, it just bothered me. <laughs> go for two. Um, so now where does this level things in the world of college football? Now that Notre Dame beat Clemson 47-40, to 40, where does this leave it? Going into the game, Notre Dame four, Clemson one. Obviously, Clemson's going to fall back a bit. So how does it shake out? I mean, just looking at things, obviously, Alabama did not play this week. They were off this week. So they're still 6-0. and They were number two. You would assume they're going to be number one. Ohio State was number three. They played Rutgers this week. The Michigan beating Rutgers, or, or, or excuse me, no, I, I, well, I, I, I'm, I've got Michigan on the brain. Jim Harbaugh lost again today. But you look at Rutgers, because uh, it was the Michigan State Association. They had beaten, yeah, okay. So anyway, uh, diatribe aside, Ohio State did beat Rutgers today. And so you figure they're going to stay at number two. Notre Dame getting this win over Clemson. You would assume they're going to move up to number three. And now Clemson's going to take a step back, and they're going to go to number four. That's probably how your college football playoff in this moment is going to look. And if you want to get in and react to any of this, talk about the game, happy to do it. 855-212-4227. That's how you join the show. 855-212-4227. I'm Vince Quinn with you here on CBS Sports Radio. You can always join the show on Twitter. Happy to read tweets. Treat it like a phone call. I try to get back to you. I do that at It's Vince Quinn. That's all one word, at It's Vince Quinn. But let's go back to the Clemson side of things. After you celebrate Notre Dame getting that first big win against the number one seed since 1993, Clemson did have that streak snapped, that 30-game win streak snapped. And Dabo, after the game, how did he feel? I want to say congratulations to Notre Dame. Uh, that was – obviously didn't go our way, but that's a that's a that's an instant classic, that's for sure. That was an unbelievable college football game. No doubt about it. I mean, it really was a great, fun, exciting game. And, and for Dabo to handle it that way, yeah, like a very professional move by him. And he just move on to fight another day. But ultimately, you look at the state of the program, and the biggest thing is obviously, you know, what does it look like when Trevor Lawrence is gone? Trevor Lawrence, this unbelievable prospect who's looked amazing from the jump, national championship winner. Yeah, What was it going to be? Last week, good moments. And they won the game, but a little bit shaky with Ungalele. So you go, ah, we don't know exactly what this is. But now you got to feel a lot better about the future of Clemson and where this is all going to go. And this is the bigger picture thing. And, and uh, James Graceffo's producing the show, and we were talking about this a little bit before. Uh, Graceffo, this probably changes things at least a little bit when it comes to Trevor Lawrence and his future, right? I think it has to. Yeah, I would think so. I think Dabble's basically going to be pushing Trevor Lawrence with you know out the door with one arm and trying to hang on to DJ Uyunglele with the other arm saying uh Trevor you know it's probably best for everybody if you make the jump to the National Football League so that we don't lose this kid as a transfer to somewhere else because obviously he's the guy in waiting he's the next guy 
And Dabo did some hard work recruiting this kid, clearly, because look at him as a prospect. Yeah. And he is not going, He Dabo's not going to risk this guy going anywhere else. No, he shouldn't. And here's a ridiculous fact that I heard this week about DJ Ungalele is apparently he got his first scholarship offer to a big five school in sixth grade. <laughs> Yeah, it tells you all you need to know. So <laughs> when people, when Trevor Lawrence had the quote the other day of like, oh, you never know what could happen. I could stay here just to placate everyone at Clemson and uh, who are asking him the question pretty much every day. It's obvious what's going to happen. This guy's going to take over, slide right in for him, and he's going to move on to the National Football League. Yeah, and for Trevor Lawrence, you would figure he's going to go pro anyway. The, the whole idea of, yeah, I'm going to sit around. I mean, maybe it's some sort of leverage play, but... Now that he can go pro, that he can go and make that money and and just go to the next level and not have to play, you know, the Citadel and put up 500 points and leave at halftime, I think he's excited about that idea. Like, ultimately, he was going to go. But when you have a guy like Ungalele play like this, yeah, you can look at it and go, okay, um, do we have to beg Trevor Lawrence to stay? You know, which could be the natural instinct of a college coach. And, and I would understand why, right? I mean, if you're Ed Ogeron and you had the opportunity to keep Joe Burrow around, wouldn't you try, right? Like, you, you want to have those conversations. Like, hey, Joe, please don't. You know? And then Joe Burrow's telling him, uh, yeah, I just put up, like, one of the best college football seasons in history. I'm going to go. See ya. Yeah, which you would have to do. You would have to go. Like, any quarterback in that scenario, regardless, you know, obviously if you're a senior, you go anyway. But junior, and you can go pro, you go pro. But if you're the coach, you want to keep that talent around because of job security, because wins equal recruitment success, all that kind of stuff. But you can feel a little more comfortable. But with this Lawrence is Dabo Swinney we're talking about. His job security isn't on the line. Well, no, it's not on the line. But it's just the idea of in the big picture with college coaches, you would want to keep a guy around right, like that. Right, but in this specific situation, he obviously has another five-star blue-chip prospect in the pipe. And he so, looks good already. Right, and we already know that it looks like he can play. Right? And yeah. like you said, he had scholarship offers in sixth grade. Sixth grade! So it's pretty obvious that he was highly regarded. Yeah. And like I told you, Trevor Lawrence, he's going to be pushing Trevor Lawrence out the door and hanging on to DJ uh, with the other arm, saying, please don't leave me if Trevor Lawrence decides to, like, shock everyone and stay, which, again, not happening. No. It, it should. If it does happen, because here's the weird thing, like, ETN stayed this year with Clemson as a running back that had won a national championship. And I looked at that and I go, this doesn't make any sense. So, like, maybe there was a remote possibility that Lawrence could stay. But, yeah, you, you figure with Ungalele at this point, just the money. The money is really the big factor. You just figure Lawrence is going to go. So, anyway, uh, really fun, exciting, crazy game and, and just uh, good football. And if you want to talk about it, 855-212-4227. Again, I'm Vince Quinn with you here on CBS Sports Radio. What I want to do next is there's been a really fun conversation in the NFL and one of their star players threw themselves into the middle of the debate. I want to get to that next. Keep it right here. You're listening to the Vince Quinn show on CBS sports radio. Listen. 
listening to the Vince Quinn Show on CBS Sports Radio. Stop making the eyes at me. I'll stop making the eyes at you. That's what the Jets say to their players. Again, we'll get to that story soon. But I am Vince Quinn with you on CBS Sports Radio. And we started the show here talking about Clemson, Notre Dame. If you want to hop in, 855-212-4227. But... I also do need to talk about what's happening in the NFL because you get a great conversation, like a super fun, exciting conversation about the state of the NFL and the quality of talent within the league. And it has to do with who is the best wide receiver in football? It's a tough question. Who is the best wide receiver in football? Well, one of those guys that is on your mind said they're the best guy. I want to get to that guy in just a minute and whether or not he is the best receiver. But first, let's go to the phones. Let's talk to Rick, who's in South Bend, Indiana. What's going on, Rick? Hi, Vince. Hey, love your show. Um, yeah, I well, obviously, I'm a homer. I'm a Notre Dame fan. However, <laughs> yes, I want to ask the question: Why would there not be strong consideration when Notre Dame was number four and they beat number one Clemson? Um, and I know Alabama and Ohio State have not beaten a top a top four team, right? Why is there not strong consideration for Notre Dame? Will there not be for Notre Dame to be number one? And I think I know the reason why, but I'd like to ask you that question. Why wouldn't there be strong when you're number four, you beat number one, and number two and three have certainly not played anybody like Clemson? And why does Notre Dame not get a good strong look at being number one? Yeah, no, it's a it's a totally fair question to ask. And when you look at it, it's a couple of things. I mean, one, Alabama is just a great team and they've got a track record and, and the legacy. So you look at Nick Saban and, and what that program is, the fact they've had an off week. Do you take it away from them having the off week? Uh, I don't think so. I don't think they're likely to do that. So that's going to be part of the equation. The other thing is, and, and I hate to say this because, again, Uncle Lele was good. He, he was really good in this game. I, I thought he played well. He had a very good chance to win it there down at the end. And so as much as he played well, there might be this excuse of, well, it's not Trevor Lawrence. And so is it quite the same as beating a number one Clemson team? Maybe not. And so you stack those things up and I would figure Notre Dame and maybe you could, you could make the case for two, but uh, I just don't see them being number one. I hear you. Yeah. And I think, I think another reason for that uh, nationally is that people have that perception of Notre Dame. It's been a long time since they've broken through to this elite level and had a big signature win. So there's a perception, like you said, track record. Alabama has that track record. And I, in my view, I think every year should be judged fresh for itself. That year that Notre Dame got blown out 30-3 to to Clemson, Clemson ended up hammering Alabama even worse, and people kind of forgot that. But anyway, yeah, I just, you know, just I think it's something that needs to be considered, and of course it's all going to shake out naturally eventually anyway. But uh, I appreciate your thoughts. Yeah, and Rick, I appreciate the call, man. Thanks so much. And if you want to hop in, eight five five two one two four two two seven. That's how you join the show, and that's CBS Sports Radio's toll free line. It's sponsored by Geico. Whether you rent or own, Geico makes it easy to bundle home and car insurance. Having a home is hard work, so get a quote at Geico.com. Easy. Now, who's the best wide receiver in the NFL? That's been the debate going on for the past week. Who is the best wide receiver in the NFL? And somebody that said pretty clearly they think they're the guy, Devontae Adams. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. I think that's not uh, that's not being conceded. That's just being confident. I think, um, you know, obviously what I've, what I've done and um, what I'm going to continue to do is going to prove that um, to anybody who, who isn't on board with that. But I, I truly believe that uh, just based off of the, the work that I put in, 
Yeah, and Devontae Adams has been a great wide receiver. Uh, to his credit, throughout his career, he has been incredibly good. Um, this year in particular, 53 catches, 675 yards, eight touchdowns. Eight touchdowns. And you know what? Here's the thing. When it comes to Devontae Adams, that's what he does regularly. This is a guy that has a tendency to be dominant in the red zone, to make big things happen. He's had years 12 touchdowns in 2016, 10 in 2017, 13 in 2018. Like, he has done this before. And so for Devontae Adams to show up and have a great season, and, and, you know, part of it is you look around at the Packers' wide receiving core, and, you know, it's not exactly stellar, right? It's, It's not exactly the most inspiring thing. One of the criticisms for Green Bay going into this year was, hey, um, you didn't draft a wide receiver. You drafted a backup quarterback for Aaron Rodgers, so that was great. You drafted another running back in the second round. Didn't draft a wide receiver. So, you know, not exactly the same kind of targets you'd, you'd expect. You want to argue inflated numbers this year. I mean, you can try, but Devontae Adams is legit. He's legit as they come. And we can get into this over the course of the show of whether or not he's the best guy who is the best guy. I've got a favorite. You know, that's there's a guy that for me, if I was picking one wide receiver and I'm building a team, who's that guy I'm going to go with? And I'll tell you that guy in a couple of minutes, but I'd love to hear from you. 855-212-4227. 855-212-4227. Now, James Graceffo's producing the show. Graceffo, do you have a, a, a favorite or, or a pick at best wide receiver in the NFL? Yeah, I still think I'm going to lean toward DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, with everything Hopkins has been through and uh, the mass unit of quarterbacks he's played with aside <laughs> from Deshaun Watson and just making these guys better all around him. And, uh, you know, where have the Texans basically gone since DeAndre Hopkins has left the building? Seriously. Deshaun Watson is like, you know, MIA. Bill O'Brien's been fired. Nothing has gone right. No. Uh, so it's hard for me to say, you know, DeAndre Hopkins isn't the best wide receiver. Devontae Adams is having a great year. And those numbers you mentioned, they're, they're like a couple of games have been missed with those numbers you, you've mentioned too. So he sat out a couple of weeks, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, he's played six games this year. Uh, and to have those numbers sitting out two games is amazing. But I would tend to lean, lean toward DeAndre Hopkins. Yeah, no, and DeAndre Hopkins is amazing. And like this is the cool thing about looking at the NFL right now because – the wide receiver talent, we always talk about, or at least I, I tend to talk about a, a lot about the quarterback talent in the NFL, and the league is so deep, and it, it's just amazing to see, you know, because older quarterbacks have been able to play longer, the younger guys are coming in and playing better quickly, so your quarterback talent is just as good as it's ever been, and, and that's really great, but you look at the wide receivers, and you look around the league, and the number of guys that you can really make a solid case for this guy is the best wide receiver in the NFL. I mean, there's just so many good names. And just a few that I'm kind of scribbling together here as I'm thinking about it. Like Julio Jones, obviously, is a guy that's going to be on that list. He, he's just had a ridiculous career. And I, I he had a number recently, I want to say through 10 seasons, nobody's had the receiving yards or he's about to pass Jerry Rice for receiving yards 10 years into his career. And you go, like, I'm, I didn't expect that. But it makes all the sense in the world, right? It, it, it's just once you hear it, you go, oh, okay, yeah. I mean, Julio Jones, it feels like he puts up 1,300 yards a season. That's just what he does. So he's amazing. DK Metcalf now is an incredibly popular pick. I don't know if I quite put him on that status yet. He's having a hell of a year, and he was really good last year. But DK Metcalf is a guy that you can make a case for 
as the best wide receiver in the NFL. Um, Tyreek Hill, you know, is a guy that you can make a case for being the best wide receiver in the NFL. And I've got my pick. And and you know who my guy is? Stephon Diggs. I love Stephon Diggs. I just think that guy is incredible. And, and he does everything. You know, he, he's got the ability to get down the field. He's got the size to jump up and get that 50-50 ball. You see what he's... Because the same way Graceffo was just talking about DeAndre Hopkins, right? Like, for him to go to... Uh, Arizona and be ridiculously successful. 57 catches, 704 yards, three touchdowns. That's a hell of a season. Stephon Diggs right now in Buffalo with Josh Allen, 54 catches, 695 yards, three touchdowns. We've seen him been, be a great player with the Vikings for a number of years. The uh, That play in the playoffs against the Saints that buried them, that was Stephon Diggs. So, you look at what that guy's been able to do, the attitude around Diggs. I just love Diggs, man. I mean, it's, and that's the fun thing about this. A lot of this conversation is, is sort of a stylistic choice. But if I was going to pick a guy right now, it, he's not the trendiest pick, but I'd go with Stephon Diggs. That's, to me, that's the best wide receiver in the NFL. I'm, I, I love what he's about. So 855-212-4227. That's how you join the show. And, uh, Let's take a call real quick. Let's go to Mark in Pittsburgh. Mark, you're on CBS Sports Radio. i tell you what. You just made so many great points for Stephon Diggs. As I was hands-on saying, if we're saying who's the best right now based on numbers, no debate, Devontae Adams. But what you just said, look what Stephon Diggs is doing it in Buffalo with, with Josh Allen, who's a total wild card. So what's great with this debate is what makes somebody the best. We're saying based off numbers. We're saying based off of leadership because you have to go Larry Fitzgerald because he's making everybody better. There's even court, or you're saying look what Savon Diggs is able to do with Josh Allen, who is surprisingly having an insane year. You know, so you actually made some great points listening to you. Actually, almost changes my mind to want to agree with you. So you're doing a great job then. Okay, well that's good. And and let me comment real quick on the Larry Fitzgerald pick because here's the thing for Larry Fitzgerald at this point in his career, you can't say he's the best receiver in the league right now. He's you know. Not. Exactly. Yeah, but you look at all time. I, I mean, it, here's the thing. This this is going to feel a little hot takey. But if somebody were to tell me that they if they were building a team and they wanted Larry Fitzgerald over Jerry Rice, I, I don't know if I could agree with it, but I couldn't hate them for saying it. You know what I mean? Like Larry Fitzgerald right. for his career, for the leadership, for his consistency, his, his, his injury history. And I know Jerry Rice has all those things in his favor too, but Larry Fitzgerald has the best hands that have ever existed. And he's age great. So to touch on the point you're saying is what makes somebody the best right now. And like I said, I was hands down before what you were just saying, Devonta. You can't debate it. He missed a couple of weeks of hamstring, leading the uh, you know league right now in touchdown receptions, top three yards. But is he the best, or is leadership like Barry Fitzgerald make him the best? Stephon Diggs doing what he's doing in Buffalo make him the best. It's a great debate, and you, you had some really good points, too. So I definitely respect that, my man. Yeah, and Mark, thanks so much, man. If you want to get in, 855-212-4227. Or again, just hit me up on Twitter. Like, that's that's how this goes. You know, it's I, I know it's sports talk radio, and a lot of this is like, hey, you got to call into the show. And, like, you can call into the show. I'm happy to talk to you, okay? That's that's part of the job. I like doing it. That's, that's why I do it. I like talking with people about this kind of stuff. This is a fun convo. So if you want to call and talk about it, 855-212-4227. If you just want to hit me up on Twitter, hey, happy to hear it. Hey, Vince, I think this guy's the best wide receiver. All right, well, tell me about it. You can find me at It's Vince Quinn. That's all one word, at It's Vince Quinn. So when we come back, 
This is going to be fun, okay? We're going to go around the NFL a little bit with Mike Yam of NFL Network. He's going to join the show, so that is coming up next. You're listening to the Vince Quinn Show on CBS Sports Radio. CBS Sports Radio. You're listening to The Vince Quinn Show, weekend overnights on CBS Sports Radio. And we have one of the greatest stories in the history of sports that just happened in the past, like, 48 hours. I'll check the timing out, but it it just happened a couple of days ago. Um, What happened is we all have dreams as sports fans, right? You sit there on the couch at the bar. Whatever you're doing, you're talking about your team. You know more. You know more than the general manager, don't you? You know what's going on. You know the players. You know the trends of the league. You do a better job than the manager or the head coach or whatever it is. You look at all those things. You can run the team better. You can make better decisions than the people that are doing the job. You look at the way sports are now, uh, especially if you're anti-analytics. You look at all these people. Oh, well, yeah, look at these people. Wall Street types. They don't know anything about sports. They're clueless. Like, I'm a Sixers guy. There's There's a hedge fund manager that owns the team. I might have criticized him a couple of times for not knowing anything about basketball. You know, I've done it. We've all done it. It's just the nature of being a sports fan. That's what you do, right? And that's why, if you haven't heard this story about Steve Cohen, it is unbelievably good. Unbelievably good. Because Steve Cohen, who is the new owner of the Mets, he is a big-time Mets fan. And has been for his whole life. And so for him to go through these stages where he's interested in buying the Mets. They have some conversations. It gets close to a sale. It blows up. No sale. Cohen's out. And then he's back in. And he buys the team. And meanwhile, he's got all of these years of pent-up frustrations of watching the Mets, a national joke, again and again and again and again and again, and thinking, I know more than these owners. I know more than the GM. I know more than the manager. I'm going to build this team into a winner because I know how to do it. And now he gets the point to own the team. He's the guy that actually gets to make the decisions now about his favorite team. And here's what makes it even better is Steve Cohen. This is the actual report. Steve Cohen, less than an hour after he completed the sale, less than one single hour, he fires the GM and four other people in the front office. (laughs) That's amazing. Like, just on the idea of living out. Yes. And every dream that every sports fan has ever had is like, man, I just want to win the lottery. I want to buy the team and I'm going to clean house. And like that's Steve Cohen just did that. 
I can't imagine what that feeling is like. I can't imagine how good that must actually be to be Steve Cohen and one, have just like $80 billion to do whatever you want with anyway, but also to be able to actually buy the team. Like he didn't wait a day for the sale to complete. He could have completed the sale and been like, you know, we completed the sale. I'm going to go out on my yacht or whatever he wants to do. Um, have a have a nice meal. I'm going to hire the finest chef to come to my house and cook me a meal. And I'll drink 500-year-old whiskey that was buried in a pyramid with a pharaoh. Like, he could do whatever he wants, right? He decided as soon as the sale was official, he, it was like he gets off the phone with his lawyer and they're like, Steve, the deal's done. And he goes, oh, well, this is wonderful. And he immediately just, do, 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 do. hey, Brody, Steve Cohen just bought the team. How's it going? Uh, it's going good, Steve. I'm, I'm doing quite all right. Well, uh, you're not anymore. You're fired. You're gone. Fired! <laughs> It's incredible. I just, I can't believe that he fired these people. He fired five people from the front office, like basically the literal second he took over the team. That's just, it's incredible. It's amazing. Congratulations to Steve Cohen. That is a hell of a way to drop off, uh, to start off your job. And anybody that's ever been a sports fan is jealous of you for that. Nice work. Now, with that being said, we're coming to you live from the Rocket Mortgage Studios. When you need certainty in the home buying process with a loan that fits your life, Rocket can. I am Vince Quinn with you here on CBS Sports Radio. And if you want to hop in, 855-212-4227. That's how you join the show, 855-212-4227. You can also join the show on Twitter at It's Vince Quinn. Now, the other thing I want to get to here is... If you haven't seen what's going on with the NBA, there's been a lot of stuff that's been up in the air uh, about the structure of the season, about how this is all going to play out, and what ultimately we're getting with the NBA. It's it's getting finalized, 72-game schedule. We're getting a lot of uh, confirmation of when the trades are going to be available, when the draft is, when free agency is going to start, training camp. We're talking about a season that starts on December 22nd. Now, this was a big conversation between the NBA, the players, and the league. Should they start on December 22nd? The idea for the league is we need to start before Christmas. We need to play a couple of games before Christmas. We need to play on Christmas. We need the attention that comes with Christmas. The NBA for years has made that a big sticking point, right? They like to dominate the schedule. The big games are always lined up on Christmas. Those high-caliber fantasy-type matchups, that's when they happen. That It's a status thing. If you're a team, that your team is chosen to play on Christmas, that says something about you and your standing within the league, the kind of respect that you have, the kind of excitement around you. So that means a lot. And the NBA wanted to keep doing that. But for the players' side, they go, well, I mean, the season just wrapped up. Right? Finals just happened, I mean, how long ago? Like a month ago? The finals wrapped up? And it has not been long, just a couple of weeks. I mean, J.R. Smith, he's still partying shirtless somewhere. You know, like these guys, it, it just happened. So how can you turn around the season that quickly? How do you not give people time to prepare, time to rest, relax, have that vacation, right? That's been the argument from the players. Now, they ultimately lost that argument, and they're going to play on December 22nd. That's going to be the start of the year. Now, that's great for the NBA. 
And here's why this needed to happen. I mean, one is the obvious thing of Christmas, right? It's the idea that, okay, this is their big time of the year, and they want to get playing then and have the notoriety then. But the other thing you have to consider, because the estimation of the money that could be lost from this was $500 million to $1 billion. That was the estimation. A lot of money at stake here. Now, why is that? Well, there's a couple of things, and... Part of it is how the schedule lines up with the year this year, right? It's the idea of, okay, not only when does the season start, which again, Christmas, but when does it end? Ending before the Olympics is key, right? With all of the attention that would go into that, the and basketball with the Olympics, that's an important thing. Also, you think about the schedule for next year. I mean, that's the thing. Like, we're so caught up in the moment right now. You know, and, and I get that, obviously. Just just given how everything is, news day-to-day is swinging wildly. You look at the moment. You look at the NFL. Teams are getting a COVID case every single day, it seems like. So you're looking at all of this different stuff piling up, and you're just like, how are we going to get through this season? How are we going to play this game on Sunday? Where is this going to go? And think about next season feels so far off, especially for the NBA. But ideally, things calm down, vaccinations and whatnot, and we get to a point where... You're playing a regular 82-game schedule on a normal schedule. That's where you want to be. So for the NBA, they're trying to set that pattern now. Makes all the sense in the world to me. And and here's the thing is for the players, too, as much as the turnaround sucks, I, I feel for the players in that way. To not have a full vacation, to be through the bubble, especially the teams that went further into the bubble, and really teams that went further into the bubble and did not win the NBA Finals, for those teams to be in that spot and now have this quick turnaround, that's a tough spot to be. So I do feel for them, and I understand their need of like, hey, let's wait till the middle of January. Just give us another three weeks, four weeks. That's all we're looking for. You can't do it. And and ultimately, it's going to work out for them because the whole idea is the money that goes with this, to play the season, to make the money throughout the season, the Christmas Day revenue, to get done before the Olympics, and assume the Olympics go on, to be able to play in the Olympics. I mean, a, a part of the NBA, part of the beauty of it, why these guys make so much money, it's not just the contracts themselves. And you see these max deals and guys making $45 million a year, and you go, oh, my goodness, these guys are getting crazy paid. But the NBA is an international game. The Olympics matter. You know, there's NBA players that are on all of those different teams. And the ability to go to another country and, you know, promote shoes and whatnot, that makes a lot of money. Going to China. So all that different stuff, it it matters for them. And so be able to go to the Olympics. Get this done early. Don't have that overlap. Like, it doesn't feel good now, but ultimately that's going to be good for the NBA. Getting this ready to go for Christmas is good for business. Now, the thing is that obviously this is a tight turnaround, and that's what makes all of this so much fun because right now we are really in the calm before the storm. The NBA is about to get absolutely ridiculously bonkers insane, and and I can't wait because think of the NFL, right? Like the trade deadline just came and went for the NFL. What happened? Nothing. I mean, nothing really. Was anything really that exciting? Oh, my God, the Jets traded... Avery Williamson to the Steelers. Hold the phones. Let's everybody stop what you're doing. Avery Williamson's been traded, okay? It's a linebacker. Pay attention. No. Okay? It doesn't draw like that. It doesn't work like that. Quan Alexander got traded. Good player. 
that turn the world upside down? Are the Saints suddenly a top-level contender? Like, A.J. Green, even if he had gotten moved for the player that he was, he's not the same guy right now. Like, it just, nothing happened at the trade deadline. Nothing notable. And that's really, for the most part, how the NFL is. You get occasional big-time trades. Like, this year you had Stephon Diggs. You did have uh, DeAndre Hopkins. But almost every year in the NBA, you get a lot of big-time trades that happen. And think about what happens when you have this sense of pressure, right? Because you look at, for example, baseball. Baseball right now, I mean, baseball's a mess. And part of the reason why they're a mess is you get these guys that are free agents and they're out on the market and they get a call and the offer's not great. And then they hope another team calls and maybe they do, but that offer's not great either. And then they go back to the first team and ask for more money and they say no. And then you hang out a little bit more and suddenly it's March and spring training started and you're not on a team and you should have a big time deal, but you haven't gotten it. You see what I'm saying? Like the MLB is a mess with that kind of stuff because they have all this time to stretch it out. The owners are waiting and waiting and waiting and grinding these guys down and lowering their value. And that's where baseball has been trending. Sad, but true. You look at the NBA. I mean, these guys, they're always moving all over the place. They could demand themselves to be moved all over the place. Their money is determined by the max deal, so it's either a max player or they're not, and those top guys are going to get the max deal because they're hard to find. They're hard to keep in your clutches, so you pay them. So when you're looking at the NBA right now, I mean, think about the pressure because here's how short the turnaround is going to be, okay? Trades for the NBA are going to open on November 16th. It's two days before the draft, November 16th. Training camp starts December 1st. <laughs> okay? You're talking about teams going through the draft and free agency 15 days, something like that. I mean, can you imagine what that's like in itself? Just being somebody, thinking about your own team, whoever you're a fan of in the NBA, to have 15 days to build your team is insane. That is a ridiculously short amount of time to figure everything out. Usually, you have the benefits of, okay, here's the draft. Now we've got a couple of months. Okay, here's the trade deadline. Now we got a couple of months. Here's free agency. And you repeat the whole cycle. You've got time. You've got thought. You can run numbers. You can poke around with other teams and see what this is and what that is and what's this guy available for and, and build everything up. And now... You're just going to be in a washing machine going at 500 miles per hour, just tumbling over and over and over and over and over again and going, oh, my God. You're looking around the league. Moves are going to be happening at light speed, that sense of urgency. And what does that do for the NBA? It does a lot, right? It's going to be a ridiculous amount of movement in a short amount of time. The league is going to get, like last year, we saw the league get turned upside down for all these star players moving around. But now we're going to see it just because so many things happen so quickly. Like how different the NBA is going to be in terms of who is where and the power structures of these teams and that teams and what are the st- the projected standings in the East and the West power players. Like all of that is going to get turned upside down in two weeks' time. And you've got some big names that are available. I mean, James Harden is, is maybe, like, to, the Sixers are poking around on him. Obviously, Daryl Morey left and just went to Philly. Maybe that's a thing that happens. Devin Booker is supposedly upset. Like, there's just different guys that are out there that could get traded. You're thinking about all of these guys that are naturally free agents. Not as big of a free agent market this year, but there's still a lot of free agents out there. 
How does that urgency mess with people? What kind of mistakes are made? Overpayments. You know, rush trades. There's just so much fun that's going to happen in the next couple of weeks here. And for the NBA, in part, that that's a byproduct of starting the season when they're supposed to. Like, this is the time to do it. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's not going to be easy. High-priced mistakes will get made. But ultimately, the attention for the league is going to be good. The money's going to be right. And long-term, they're in a better position. So it's messy, but it's going to be okay. And I really like how the NBA has been able to get through all this. And again, it's a credit to Adam Silver and the way that he's run this league. He gets it. And here's what we're going to do on the other side. Because what you have going on is a, a very small and hilarious indicator of why the MLB, conversely, is run poorly and is an absolute mess. So we're going to get to that next. I'm Vince Quinn with you on CBS Sports Radio. 855-212-4227 is how you join the show. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Vince Quinn Show on CBS Sports Radio. Listening to the Vince Quinn Show on CBS Sports Radio. And last segment, if you were tuned in, I gave you about the most passionate rant I can possibly give you about Major League Baseball, about the direction of the sport, about the chaos within it, where it is right now, how they had the most, I mean, pathetic and sad and hilarious unveiling of their gold glovers on election night. And. I open up the phones. Hey, does anybody want to talk about it? 855-212-4227. Nope. Nope. Baseball's so dead, man. I mean, it, it's amazing. It, it's really amazing. Like, me and Graceffo just sent the... We spent the whole commercial break. <laughs> At least there's some level of chirping there. It is radio... Literally radio silent in regards to baseball. Nothing on Twitter. I got one tweet about it. That's it. And it's amazing. And and here's the thing. Graceffo made a great point about part of the problem with baseball. And and I, I might as well not steal the words out of your mouth if you want to share. You can if you want. Well, I, it, it could make me sound smarter, sure. so maybe I should. Sure. No, but, uh, okay, I'll summarize it and we can talk about it. Here, the, the general summary is here, here's a major problem with baseball is it comes down to pitching, right? And when you've got these guys – they're not going complete games. It's not at least late in the games. Your starting pitcher gets pulled. You know, Blake Snell getting pulled in what, like the fifth inning because he gives up one hit. When you take that star power out, when you don't have that, and also just the way baseball shakes out, you can have like some random relief pitcher that nobody knows, and he's going against the right fielder who's batting seventh in the bottom of the ninth. You know what I mean? Like, there's there's that lack of star power element to baseball that other sports have that baseball doesn't have. Well, let's put it this way. You're watching the Lakers. Tight game. Fourth quarter. Let's say two minutes left. Who do you think's getting the ball? Yeah, it's, it's LeBron uh, The biggest star in the sport? Probably the most recognizable uh, athlete in the world right now? Yeah. Yeah. Imagine if you were doing things Major League Baseball's way, and you said... Alex Caruso gets the ball with two minutes left in a crunch time game in the NBA. Or, even better, an even better example. Who's playing the Sunday night game tonight? 
the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, imagine if Bruce Arians just said, huh, two minutes left. Man, Brady doesn't look like he has it tonight. His pitch count. Yeah, his pitch count's high. up there. I don't know what to do here. I'll just have Blaine Gabbert come in and throw this pass. <laughs> See if shake things up. Could you imagine if the National Football League or the NBA did that? Yeah. And this is what Major League Baseball does routinely every night and in October where the games mean more than anything. Yeah. Where Kevin Cash basically said, you know what? This guy's throwing a great game. But all that third time through the order, I don't know. Oh, man. He's sweating. He's dealing with this flop sweat in the dugout. He's about to, like, walk up the steps in his dumb pullover with his mask on and his dumb hat. Which, by the way, why these guys wear uniforms still when they're coaching in the game? Hysterical. Dumbest thing ever. Hysterical. He's like, man, this Blake Snell guy's throwing a great game. I don't know what to do. That third time through the order, I don't know. He had struck everyone out earlier in the game, and he says, meh, I think he's had enough at 76 pitches. The guy's throwing the game of his life. He's like, oh, I don't know. I got to go. I got to go to some random reliever here. Could you imagine? Could you imagine if Tom Brady was like, Arians was like, I don't know. Or Russell Wilson, for that matter. Yeah. Pete Carroll was like, man, Russ looks a little shaky right now in the fourth quarter. Uh, I got to go to Geno Smith. Could you believe it? Would you believe what your eyes were telling you? That's the, Again, no. the problems in this sport are immense. It is a totally different game from when me and you were watching it growing up. There is no action. And the stars of the game do not play in the most important parts of the game. Could you imagine in 1991 if John Smoltz was like, man, I'm just tired, I can't, I can't go anymore, and Jack Morris is like, man, I just can't go anymore, and they're in the sixth inning, and they've thrown a hundred-something pitches, and they're like, I can't do it, I just can't go. It's just absurd. It's the most absurd thing in the world. And by the way, the games are four hours. They don't call any strikes. Nothing is happening. You can go 15 minutes with nothing happening in the sport now. There's no other sport in the world like that. No, it's it is unique. It is unique. It's just it's it's crazy because you're totally right with all of that. The star power doesn't line up enough. It's I, I almost feel like this. This is a fun reference. It almost feels like baseball if you're trying to fix it, right? Acknowledging that problem, the lack of star players in the big moments at the end of the game. Do you do like? Pokemon with your batters where like you could just choose when a batter's up and you can pull them back and if you just want to bat one guy like eight times in a row you can do that like I don't know what you do I, I don't know what the answer is for that because that is the you can't do anything of the sport. because you can't change the fabric of the sport but you have to if, but you if, can't if that's what it takes to survive should they consider it no because then you're changing no. the fabric fabric of the sport but if the that's like saying that's like bad. saying, man, let's end these innings after two outs. Who would do no one there would never do it. Or, you know, you get, you know, so many foul balls and then you're out. You can't do it. Well they can't well, well why not? Why not? You just you can't. You just can't. You so just can't. You, so no. you just you just stay on the Titanic. Yes. And go, you know, yeah. Actually, I mean, I paid for the room. So <laughs> all the I deck. Might as well. I'm rearranging the deck chairs as the orchestra is playing, and you know, let's face it. I told you in the break, this sport's going to be boxing and horse racing before you know it. Yeah. Like, it's ha- it's happening. It, it's we all definitely know it. happening. We, we all know it. And it's going to be the NHL before we know it, too. It's where they'll always be around, 
They'll always be a thing because they need the programming for regional sports networks. It'll always be a profitable thing. Yeah. And you and me will go to like our four or five Philly Mets games that we go to a year, and we just sit there and we hang out. We don't watch a game. Or we're like no. walk, we're walking around in the stupid pavilion <laughs> just so they can feed us more food or booze <laughs> or like buy a T-shirt because that's all it is. You're not going there to watch the game. No, not really. No. So like that's why the sport always survive, but it just won't be like it. Just we know it now. It's not a national sport anymore, and it hasn't been for a long time. No, it hasn't been, and, and it's not going to come back, man. It's it's just it's you see things again and again and again and again and again. I try to make cases once in a while of like maybe this could be the time where things turn a little bit, where they stop the slide, where they at least level out a little, where maybe they can gain some traction if they tweak this, they tweak that. It's just. There's a lot to change, and they're not equipped to do it, and it is going nowhere fast. Nowhere. And and it's, I, I'd say it's unbelievable, but it is fully believable. It is fully understood why it's happening. So if you want to talk about it, I don't think anybody does. If you want to talk no, about it. except me and you. Yeah, a, a, which is great radio then. It's, it's great topic selection. Um, <laughs> 855-212-4227. That's CBS Sports Radio's toll-free line. It's sponsored by GEICO. Whether you rent or own, GEICO makes it easy to bundle home and car insurance. Having a home is hard work, so get a quote at GEICO.com. Easy. Now, something I want to get into here, and based on timing, we'll probably get like halfway into this, and and so be it. That's how it goes. Um, James Graceffo, who just gave you a wonderful rant about the state of baseball, is wearing a shirt, and most sadly is known as being a fan of the New York Jets. Now, Graceffo, your team had a wonderful little story that's just come out involving a... The New York Jets stink! (laughs) Here's the thing. It's not even that they're what, like 0-8 right now? 0-8, man. 0-8 with no hope whatsoever. No, not even to win a game. No, Sam Darnold is out this week. Again. Yeah, so he's not going to play against the Patriots, so they're going to get embarrassed by a bad team this year. I get to watch Joe Flacco play. That's going to be fun. But not only is all of that happening, it's one of the most miserable seasons in the history of a miserable franchise. I mean, this is an all-time bad year for them. Well, we just got a scandal that, oh my goodness, does it add some nice spicy layers to this year for the Jets because what just came out, is that the Jets apparently have had secret surveillance cameras implanted into the smoke detectors of the locker room of their training facility, which means that since 2008, when this facility was built, somebody decided we need secret undetected cameras that can spy on our players in the locker room, and they've had it there for 12 years now. So 12 years of guys, which, by the way, this goes into stuff of, like, players getting changed in the locker room, walking around naked. I mean, you see it occasionally after the game. That once in a while, they're like, hey, uh, let's talk to this quarterback about what happened in the game. The guy's sitting there in his locker. Yeah, you know, we gave him a tough one. We're trying to do everything we could. And then, like, some naked dude just walks by in the background. And you're like, whoa, uh, uh, well, they are in the locker room. That's just how it goes. Like, they've had that at the practice facility for 12 years. And there's a lot of questions that go into that. Who decided to install those cameras? Did the players know about it? The expectation right now, the reporting right now, 
is they didn't. This, this was all written in the New York Daily News. That's where they covered all of this. That's where they reported this story. So the Jets have secretly been filming their players in the locker room, unbeknownst to them, for 12 years now. And there are just, again, a billion questions with this. So I want to get into it more a little bit on the other side. And if you want to hop in, 855-212-4227. You can also join the show on Twitter at It's Vince Quinn. That's all one word, at It's Vince Quinn. So on on top of what's happening with the Jets here and these secret cameras, because why not, um, let's talk about the idea of a 16-team playoff for the NFL. That's on the other side. Keep it right here.